Well, good morning. It's great to see you all this morning. Let's pray together as we continue our time of worship through the Word. Father, thank you. Lord, it is our heart's confession today. We have a hope. His name is Jesus. Yet not I, but through Christ and me. Lord, our hope is nothing about ourselves. Our hope is all about you. Who you are. Your heart of love for us. Your heart of concern for us and compassion for us, Lord. Your work of grace for us. Stepping in our place. Living for our righteousness, Lord. Dying for our forgiveness. Being buried. Put in the grave of death in our place. And three days later, rising to new life. Victorious in salvation and giving new life for all who believe. God, our hope is not in us. Our hope is in you and your love and by your grace, your work for us in Jesus, our Savior. We thank you for the fact that right now at this very moment for all who trust in you, we have a living hope. Hope that will never, ever, ever die. Hope that is resurrected from the grave. A hope who is our Savior, who calls himself our friend, Jesus. Thank you. You are our hope. Lord, I pray that your presence would be very felt among us today. You are here. Lord, your Spirit is speaking. We thank you for your living word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to draw near to you to receive grace and help in our time of need. Lord, we come today looking for more of you. Our hearts are hungry as a deer pants for the water, so our souls pant for you, God, our living God. Our hearts are hungry for you. So satisfy. Be near. Speak. We're listening. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus and for the glory of his name. Amen. Well, good to see you, church. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and if you've got your Bible, I would ask you to get it open to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. I'm just an ordinary dude. In fact, I'm a husband, and I'm a dad, and we just found out recently I'm going to be a dad, and Michelle's going to be a mom, not just of one little sweet girl, Caroline, but of two sweet little girls. And if you didn't hear the news, yeah, that's the news. Um, you're welcome to go like it on Facebook. That's fine. We would love that, because um, it's not official that you like it until we see you click that thing, you know? Um, but anyway, uh, we're super excited about that, and I just want to say thank you very much. I've gotten so many messages from so many of you, and I'm just so grateful uh, for y'all's love. I love you a ton. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Jesus Messiah, and um, we've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, I don't know if you know who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. It may not be too hard to guess, but it was Matthew. And uh, he's one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, and he writes the Gospel message just like all of the other Gospels. There's four of them in total, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of them write to help us know who Jesus is. They want us to know what he came to do. They want us to know the history of his life, the purpose of his ministry, and ultimately they want us to have a relationship with him, to be completely transformed just as they have been by relationship with him. They have been convinced. They have seen. They have heard. They have touched him. They have felt. They know who he is. He is the Messiah. Matthew knows that. He is the one 
who's come to put you right with God, to satisfy the depths of your heart, to secure you in relationship with God forever, and he wants you to know him, and that's why he writes. The theme of the book we've been talking about over and over, Matthew's kind of like a bridge builder, okay? Imagine uh, Arkansas being the Old Testament, and Tennessee being the New Testament, and Matthew is like the the bridge right in between with a big M, okay? He's trying to help us connect the dots. The Old Testament being the book of promise and the New Testament being the book of fulfillment. And he wants us to know that Jesus has come to fulfill all that was promised by God and he's come to fulfill you. And he writes toward that end. And we've been looking in the gospel so far um, about who he is and his introduction and about the beginning of his ministry. And last week, we began chapter five. And if you're turning your Bibles... It's exactly where we are today. In chapter 4, just above chapter 5, in verse 23, we read a summary statement of Jesus' ministry. Just to remind you, it says, He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Matthew writes with a specific order. He gives you this verse in in chapter 4, verse 23, and he's going to repeat it, something very similar in chapter 9, verse 35, okay? So this is the summary statement. He says, Jesus is going around, and he's teaching, and he's proclaiming this good news that the reign of God can come again into your heart and to your life, and he's healing all diseases and afflictions. He's restoring And so when we look at what's sandwiched in between in these chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, we're we're really looking at this collection of teachings. Matthew is giving us a collection of teachings. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And then right after in chapters 8 and 9, we see a collection of stories that reflect his healing ministry. So we see some of the specifics of what he summarizes in chapter 4, verse 23. And last week, we started the Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, in the logo of the series, we put these things here so that you could kind of know what Jesus is doing. We've talked about him being a king here, and the crown is representing that. And the scroll represents how he's a prophet. He speaks the truth about God. He preaches and teaches with authority. And what he says, you can believe. It is the truth. And so as we're looking at who Jesus is and his role of Messiah, one of the things he's come to do is to teach us about God, and we need to listen. So last week, we looked at those Beatitudes, all right? We talked about how our character should be, and then today, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16, and the title of the message today is Set Apart, The Call of the Messiah. And I really hope that you will take notes so that you can really learn the Word of God, learn to live in it, and then learn to disciple, to pass it on to someone else. How, how does this new life that we've experienced in Christ manifest through our lives in the world? Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus continues his sermon, starting in verse 13. And I'll read from the English Standard Version. You You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Has anybody ever heard these passages before? Or anybody ever, as a kid, maybe heard the song, This Little Light of Mine, and I'm gonna... Okay, good. Um, Yeah, so we might be familiar with the text, but this morning what I really want to do is to teach you the truth of what Jesus is saying in these verses. it It is so, so, so central that we understand it. And the next week, we're going to continue to look, yes, at these few verses and another section of Scripture, and we're going to talk about the practicality of what Jesus is teaching. So this morning, I'm going to go ahead and give you our core truth for the day, and it should be on the screen. If you have something to write with, I would encourage you to write it down, and you better write or type fast because it's a doozy. Here we go. In a world of increasing spiritual decay and darkness, the followers of Jesus are set apart to practically show his character and shine his light for all to have the opportunity to know him. In a world of increasing spiritual decay and darkness, the followers of Jesus, and I pray that that is you, the followers of Jesus are set apart to practically show his character and shine his light for all to have opportunity to know him. Y'all got it? Some of you are agreeing, some of you are not. I'll give you another quick second. So let's start. In verse 13, we read over and over, uh, two times, verse 13 and then verse 14, Jesus starts by saying, you, you are. Now this is emphatic and this is restrictive. What he's saying is you, you being his disciples. He's sat down to teach his disciples, not people in general, but those who are of Christ. You. You who have the character that I have just taught. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the ones who identify with me no matter the cost. You, you, emphatically, you. And then he goes on to say, you, what? What's the next word? You are, okay? I'm taking these one at a time. So circle R, you are, or make a note. What he's saying here, he's making a statement, okay? He's not giving a promise. He's not saying, I really hope this is so, or maybe in the future it might be. He is saying, you who have the reign of God in the center of your heart and life, you who have the presence of God within you, you 
are right now at this very moment. I want you to know what God is doing in you and through you. You are not just a promise, but a statement. Now, he says, basically, you are two things, all right? Verse 13 and verse 14, there's just basically two things that he, he, he says he wants you to know you are. You who have the reign of God in your life, you are these things. And there's, you can make a list. Number one, what does he say? The, the salt of the earth. And then secondly, what does he say? The light of the world, okay? So let's unpack these things together. Image number one, the salt of the earth. So what he's saying here, you are the salt of the earth. Now I want to go through what does it mean to be the salt of the earth. In actual terms, and I think it'll be on the screen here, is this. Salt preserves by delaying decay and giving taste to food. It's pretty simple. Jesus is not saying that salt has literal benefits when it touches the ground, okay? He's thinking about salt similar to what we know of salt. Salt is a preservative. It's the enemy of decay. Put it on meat, lasts longer. And some of us know, because we've been to McDonald's a few times, that salt is really good. It gives taste to those French fries. Those fries would not be those fries if it wasn't for that pound of salt that they sprinkle on them immediately before they serve them to you. Some of us need to go get a heart exam. Salt is a preservative, and it's also a flavoring agent. Now, what is Jesus saying? He says, you are, this is a metaphor here, the salt of the earth. You are salt. The salt of the earth, the salt among the people of this earth. What is he saying? Let's apply it. What he's saying is, you are salt. You're a preservative. You give a tasteful flavor of God in a decaying world that is losing its taste buds for God. You are, in a similar way that salt is with food, preserving in midst of decay, bringing taste where there may otherwise be no taste. In the middle of a world that is decaying, and in the middle of a world that is losing its taste buds for God, you are the salt of the earth. In other words, in the way that God is working through you, my disciples, Jesus is saying, I want you to know that you represent me. In a world where moral standards are decaying, constantly changing, non-existent, where people are doubting that there is such a thing as an absolute truth, where they're confused about the difference in what is right and what is wrong, you represent me. You are like a preservative. You are like taste buds for people to taste me still. What is good in this world, you keep wholesome. What is corrupt in this world, you oppose. 
In the middle of society, you penetrate culture, you build relationships for good to help people continue to remember me, who I am, what I desire, what I am like, what I want to do. You give a tang in the midst of this world like salt to a dish of food. And you do this by your peculiarity. You're weird. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, you're weird. We don't act as salt just by fitting in, but by showing our distinctiveness. We are distinct. When you put salt on food, you can tell that it's there. And when you put someone who loves God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength in the middle of any situation or relationship group or neighborhood or workplace or school or whatever else in this world, you can tell that that person is there. You are peculiar people. You are set apart. You bring the flavor of me. And we do that by thinking, setting our hearts and our minds upon God. C.S. Lewis says, history shows that the Christians who did most in the present world were those who thought the most of the next. We don't win the world by looking like it. We don't win the world by fitting in. We win the world by being different, by being the people of God. In our peculiar rhythms of life, the specific things that we stand for, that we choose not to do, that we are for, and the weird nature of what does it look like for people who have lots of power, money, influence to to be among, to build friendships with the poor, to serve them, to give of yourselves in ways. What, What weird, who are you? You get up every Sunday and you go to church. In our culture today, that is weird, people. What are you doing week after week? I'm choosing to Sabbath. I'm choosing to prioritize worship with God. He is everything to me. The church, they're my people, man. I mean, in the ways that we live our life day to day, week to week, we get to evidence the peculiarity of being the people of God. So what is the action on this? We talked about what salt is actually. We talked about the application of it. What is the action for us on this? He goes on, and in verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The action on this one is this. Be careful of compromise and conformity to the world. Jesus is saying, be careful. For if salt loses its taste. Now, sodium chloride does not lose its taste, okay? But the reality is the salt in Jesus' day, much of it came from areas where it was possible for it not to be pure salt, and a lot of the sodium chloride would be leached out, and it, what would remain would lack in, in salt, lack in saltness, okay? I don't know whether to describe that. But what he's saying is, be careful. For if you are not distinct among this world, how, how will saltiness be restored? He said, it's no longer good for what it was designed for. Therefore, it must be, be thrown out. In other words, 
You can only maintain the function of God, the, the design that God has for you in this world by, by choosing to be distinct, by continuing to be peculiar, by allowing your whole heart and life not to be defined by the patterns of this world, but to be renewed and transformed to conform to the image of Christ. Let your ambition not be to be well-liked by people, but to be well-liked by God. Allow yourself to understand that part of the purpose of God in your heart and in your life, through your life, is to be a preservative, to, to allow people the opportunity to taste what they're losing a taste for, to show something of God. You got it? Number two, he says, you are the light. You are the light of the world. That's image number two. Verse 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. Let's talk about this for a second. What does it mean to understand the light of the world? In actuality, it looks like this. Light positively illuminates an otherwise dark world. You know what the earth would be like without the sun? Dark. That's why when we turn to the other side, we call it night, all right? Without light, darkness remains. The function of light is to illuminate an otherwise dark world. Light exposes the dark. It shows what's in it. Light also overcomes the dark. Darkness has no defense. The only thing darkness has going for it is the absence of light. But as soon as light appears, darkness has no chance. Light overcomes the dark. So, application applied. Here we go. You, Jesus is saying, are the light of the world. You are. This is already so. You are the light of the world. Here's what it means. You're a light in a sin-darkened world. See, light implies that the world is in darkness, which is pretty interesting because the world thinks that we are in this age of enlightenment. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over, we are told that we are getting better and better. But in reality, much of our world still lives in darkness. Darkness is being defined as being far from the illuminating presence of God. You are the light of the world, a universal religious symbol, purity opposed to filth, truth opposed to error, knowledge opposed to ignorance, divine presence opposed to abandonment. You are the light of the world. I want to talk about 
a little bit about the light of God because it's very important that you understand, okay? I want to teach you something about God's light, okay? The first thing I want to teach you is this, is that in God's original design, his people are to shine light. There's two passages that speak to this. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, and then Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. From the beginning, in the book of promise, in the Old Testament, God's people were always to be reflectors of him. We were made in his image. In his image, he created us, male and female. What does this mean? It means that, in a way, God created you to be a mirror. He created you to be one who reflects his beauty, his purity, his illumination, his light. You were made to be in his image, to be a reflector of him. That's what we're talking about. And in the Old Testament, we see God specifically talking to his people about this very point. In Isaiah chapter 42, it says this, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and I will keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a what? Light for the nations to open the eyes of the blind. Isaiah chapter 49, he says this, verse 6, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a what? Light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Now, did the people of God obey that? No, they didn't. But is God going to hold true to his promise? Yes. God intended, he has promised to bring light into the darkness, hope for the hopeless. And that is why Matthew over and over helps us to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. And that's the second thing I want you to see, is that with Jesus, we have a fulfillment of promise. Jesus is God's true light. Where the people of God have failed and where you have failed, Jesus steps in and he fulfills the promise of God for you. He fulfills all righteousness and he comes to restore the presence of God to your life and to our world. And Jesus comes and he is the perfect mirror. He is the perfect reflection of God. Those who have seen Jesus have truly seen God. He is the light. Now, over and over in the scriptures, we see this. We know that Jesus has come to fulfill the servant's mission. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, which I don't have on the screen, but it specifically quotes the passage from Isaiah, and he talks about how he has come to fulfill this very thing. Christ himself is the light. But the difference with Jesus is that he's not really a mirror. He is the light itself. Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says this, the people who are dwelling in darkness have seen a great light right before Jesus' ministry started. We just studied this two weeks ago. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them what? A light has dawned. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this, again, speaking to them, saying, I am the what? 
light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John chapter 9, verse 6, excuse me, verse 5, as long as I am in the world, he says, I am the light of the world. You get the point. You're going to say light a lot. John chapter 12, verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. And in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. When he came into the world, like John said in chapter 1, the light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. Praise God, the light has come again. And if he had not come, friends, we would still be in the darkness, the darkness of sin. But friends, he has come, and light has shone. Third, I want you to see about God's light, to understand it, that, okay, now when Jesus is calling us to be his disciples, when he's restoring the reign and the rule of God in our hearts and lives again, guess what? With Jesus' disciples, we are restored, and part of the purpose of our restoration is to do what? To show his light. God is at work right now in you if you are one who loves him, follows him. He's at work right now to allow you to be once again what you had lost. You had lost your reflection of God, but God has come to restore his reflection in you. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 says this, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are what? Light in the world. See, at one time you could not function as a reflection of God because of your own sin and rebellion against him. You weren't showing him. But part of his restoration in your life is now you have the opportunity to show him again. You are light in the world. So, he says in Ephesians 5, verse 8 and 9, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, we also read that he has set us apart to be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom we shine as what? Lights in the world. We are people who understand that God is light, that in his original design we were to be reflections in his image of his light. He is light. But in our sin, all of that was lost and muddied and the world was in darkness. But praise God, by his love and grace, we have a Messiah who came to shine light again in the darkness and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. He has come to bring light once again. And for all who trust and follow him, he restores his light in your life and he allows your light to become a reflection again of his light in the world. So cool. So what is the action on this? The action on this one is this. Be the light. I think there's a screen for this. Be the light. 
That's what Jesus is calling you to do. Be the light. Now, here's what it means. How can I be the light? I want, to write it, I want you to write it down. I'm going to show it to you in the text. And then we're going to get practical. Don't withdraw from the world. That's how we're to be the light. Proactively lead others to see the light and to glorify the Father. Do not withdraw from the world. He says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The whole point of light is visibility. Do y'all understand that? The whole point of light is visibility. You are a city, Jesus says. Have y'all ever been somewhere at night where there's mountains and you have a city set on a hill? I've got a picture of one in case anybody's interested in seeing it. When you have a city that is set on the side of a hill, in Jesus' day, whether it was oil lamps or today, whether it's electricity, the reality is you can see it. There's no hiding that city. It's not like it's down in a valley sandwiched between mountains and there's, it's just hidden. No, it's set on a hill and far away for those who are yearning for home. There is an opportunity to see that light and to make your way to it. The whole point of light is visibility. You are a city set on a hill and it cannot be hidden. And then he goes on in verse 15 and he says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light in all the house. I've got a lamp. You can turn the lights out. When you put a lamp on in a dark room, the point of the lamp is to help us in this dark room, right? I can barely see you guys, but I can see you. People don't light a lamp for this reason, to take a basket and then try to put it out. That is not the point of turning on the lamp. If that were the point, we wouldn't have turned it on. We would have just stayed in the dark. The whole point of turning on the lamp is so that it could be seen and not just seen anywhere. I wish I could get this further, but here we go. You put it on the place, you get it high up, you put it on the table, and you try your hardest to position it so that truly it will have the best effect that it was intended to have to illumine a dark room. This is the point of light. Now, let me turn the lights back on. People are getting scared. <laughs> this is the point. Do you understand that God has put his light in you? Why? Not so that you would stay under a basket in hiding. That is silly. He has put his light in you so that you would shine. The whole point of his light in you is so that it would be visible in this dark, this sin-darkened world. So let your light shine. Position your life in such a way that it has the maximum influence to point people to the one who truly is light. 
He's light. Secondly, he says there in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The second thing I said there, we are practical. We proactively point people to God through our actions. We proactively lead others to see the light and to glorify the Father. Jesus has chosen to give us light. This is inevitable. The nature of light brings illumination, but we cannot merely stay content of just letting our light just be to ourselves, just stay among us. No, we live out loud. We live with a big heart and desire to let other people see who Jesus is and the change that he has brought in my life. We live proactively in good work. Our words and our works bear witness. They should bear witness to others about him. Our outward, observable public works make us who we are, and they are manifestly clear. Everything we are, everything we do should reflect the mind and the heart and the will of God. Let your good works shine so that others can see who he is in you and give glory to God in heaven. I need a volunteer as I close this morning. I actually need two. Y'all ready? Anybody willing to be a volunteer? Raise your hand. Okay, come on. I got a mirror for you. Here we go. This is going to be fun, guys. Mirror for you and a mirror for you. All right, y'all stand kind of apart from each other. I'm going to turn this out. All right, here we go. I need you to look at me, actually, because I need, I need to see I've got a light. Turn the lights out for me. Okay, so what he's saying is Jesus is the light, okay? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But he's saying he has allowed you to be a reflection of him. And I bet if you reflect here, you can maybe get, get a reflection on him. Can you see it? Can you point it? Yeah. And see, now we've got light in several places here. And if we had mirrors all across this room, we would have the opportunity to see in practicality what Jesus is doing in our lives. We are not the light. John says in John 1, I am not the light, but I have come to bear witness about the light so that the true light may be seen. And what you notice about this is, friends, as we reflect God as he has designed us to do, the glory does not go to these guys. You can barely even see them who are holding the mirrors. All of the attention is on the actual light. The attention is on the light. And that's, we're finished, okay? Thank you, guys. What we're saying here, notice that Jesus does not say, let your light shine so that people can see your good works and give glory to you. No. He says, let your light shine. Let me fully inhabit your heart and life so that your life is so different that people see your life. They see a reflection, but you don't notice the guys holding the mirror. What you notice is the light so that people can give glory to the light, can give glory to the Father. As we close this morning and our band comes to lead us in response, some of you are going, we're finished? Yes, we are. 
I, I want you to really understand what Jesus has come to do. He has come announcing the kingdom, the restoration of the rule and the reign of God in your heart and in your life again. And when you really are experiencing his presence in your life, you got to understand that part of what he wants you to see is that you now get to participate with him in the amazing work that he's doing in this world. Bringing restoration one by one. As people remember, they're made for God. They're not made for this world. As people hear of the opportunity to repent and to believe that by the grace of God, because of what he's done in his life, death, and resurrection, I can be made new again. See, we have the opportunity to participate with God and showing him in this world. Practically, on your campus, in your classrooms, in your neighborhood, with your friends, with your family members, with the lady that checks you out at the store at Cordelia's every time you pretty much go in, with that waiter of that famous, that favorite restaurant that you have, that you, you kind of recognize. In the big things and in the little things, Jesus says, you, you have my reign in your heart and life. You are. It's not a will be, but you already are. See, I've restored you. You are salt of the earth. In a decaying world that's losing its taste buds for God's, you flavor. Everywhere you go, you are flavoring and preserving by just reflecting me. You are, not one day will be, but already now, the light of God is shining in you again. And this light is not just for you, but it's for others. You are the light of the world. The whole purpose of my light in you is not so that you would hide me, but that you would show me, you would illuminate by living for me. You're not the light, but you bear witness to the light. You're the mirror. And you want so much to have your mirror reflecting the true light. Glory will not go to you, but glory will go to God because as one by one we continue to embrace our calling, the world gets a little more tasty for God and the world gets a little more light for God. You're the salt. You're the light. Let, your, let God's presence penetrate your heart and penetrate your life so that others can see you and by seeing you, see him.